All right, everybody, we got the first Dirt Talk episode of 2021. Very excited. Still uh, New Year, same garbage introduction, garbage music, garbage production quality. But here we are nonetheless. Uh, it should be a good year. We're, we're going to be doing some really exciting stuff. I'll, I'll cut an episode here pretty soon talking about the changes we may be making shortly. But today, same old, same old. We have Mr. Josh McCahill of McCahill Enterprises Incorporated out in the Central Valley of California. How you doing, Josh? Good, how are you? Very, very good. Um, I'm sure plenty of people that listen to this have seen you guys doing your thing on social media because you're all over the damn place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seems to be. Well, I, I wanted to talk first, before we get into what you actually do, you were a sheriff before you do what you do, right? Is that right? I was. I was. I was a deputy sheriff in Fresno County. So how did you become a sheriff? I'm very, I'm just, I'm intrigued how you became a sheriff and then how the hell you got into what you do from being a sheriff. So, um, I got into being a sheriff. I mean, I kind of grew up in a country lifestyle and, and, um, you know, I was around when I was in high school and in college, I was really into rodeoing and kind of being basically a wild kid. So I had a couple of friends that were going to kind of going into law enforcement. They said, Hey, go take a ride along, you know, go check it out, see what you think. So I said, all right, you know, I was like 19 or 20. And um, I did a ride along with the local police department and I was just kind of watching. And you know, these guys were just like getting into stuff and chasing people. And I'm like, this seems really cool. I, I, I've got to do this. Yeah. So I just made up my mind. I was like, I'm, I went to the police academy and, and I was at the time I was in college having a great time, uh, too good a time. So I dropped out of college and I went to the police academy and and I got hired roughly about three, four months after I graduated the academy. I got hired with Fresno County and went went into the uh, the force. No kidding. I I, uh, I did my first ride along a few years ago now. I was in Red Lodge, Montana with the local police force and it was so much fun. My mind was blown and we didn't even do anything that cool, but we were just doing like, you know, the, the typical traffic stops running off kids from doing stupid stuff. I had a blast. It was overnight too. So everything was dark and you're in the middle of the night and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy what those guys do every day. It is. It is. It's, it's eye opening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing. It's like a lot of people, I don't know. Police have been in the media, obviously, this year, and a lot of people criticizing the police that haven't really seen what they do day to day, and I feel like don't have a general understanding of what the police force actually does in the country. I feel like just doing a ride along gives you such a different uh, level of understanding of what they do day to day. Well, many interactions with the police are negative. I mean, you know, if you get stopped because you're speeding or you know, you have a problem and you call the police. And so most of the interactions that people experience with the police are, are not always positive. Yeah. And in a ride along situation, you get to see more of the human side of the police officer, right? You feel that he's has feelings that he's doing things. He's not the jerk that's pulling you over and giving you a speeding ticket. He's the actual human. And you can kind of, I don't know, um, just get, you just get a better perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, you know, cops are kind of screwed from the beginning because no one's really excited to see them. It's not like the fire department. Like, fire department shows up. Everyone's like, oh, thank God, fire department's here. They're going to save the day. If the cops show up, it's probably probably not a good thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. How, how, long yeah. Were you, how long were you a sheriff for? So I was a sheriff for almost 18 years. Holy smoke. I didn't know it was that long. Yeah. Wow. And and so Fresno County, what where where is that exactly? In Central California, right? It encompasses a large area. I mean yeah. it goes everything from the west side, which is, you know, large farming kind of flatland, all the way up into the mountains on the east side. The snow. I mean it's huge. To drive from one county line to the next county line would take you two and a half hours. Wow. And so it's mostly rural so it's like what's uh, what, what's the kind of crime out there so a lot of it is rural and a lot of it in fresno is still unincorporated so you would see like county islands within the city so you 
the whole city area, that's when, when you're new, that's where you go. Is you go to Fresno uh. and it is, it is a zoo. Really? I mean, you're going to see everything in six months. You're going to see everything that you want to see in Fresno. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, yeah. You're going to get, you're going to, you're going to have pursuits. You're going to have shootings. You're going to have whatever, whatever you want. You'll get it. <laughs> and then from there, do so, you, you kind of branch out to, to something a little bit lo- more low key? Yeah. So you go from Fresno, then you would go out either to the West side or, or down in like the South County and, this is a lot of rural crime, but there's a lot of small towns out here. So a lot of theft, a lot of drug use, a lot of gang activity out here. just seems like there's a gamut of, of stuff and you just never really know what you're going to run into. You kind of like the, if you've watched the episode of cops, you just kind of just never know. You're like, wow, what are they doing out there? Yeah. Sure enough. You know? So what's, uh, I'm going to, we're going to get to dirt in a second, I promise, because this is dirt yeah. talk. But what what's the difference between a sheriff and your local cop? So it's just basically jurisdiction, right? Yeah. A sheriff is, is in charge of the county area. So typically more rural areas, you know, the country areas where a police officer is, is only responsible for the area within the city limits. So in the city of Fresno, there's city limits and then there's county pockets within the city limits the Fresno police officers would be responsible for only the city areas. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, you, you do this for 18 years. You chase bad guys for 18 years. At what, at what point do you think getting equipment's a good idea and having at it in the farming world? I, I, did you run equipment growing up or did you have, did you have a background in this before the, the police life came about? No, not doing what I'm doing. I mean, my grandpa had a small farm. Of peaches we grew peaches and and that's how i grew up you know just with a small farm with him and, and running a farm tractor and stuff like that what kicked it off was that my grandpa his orchard became old and me and my dad we wanted to push it out and we're kind of a diy type of people so he ended up buying an old d7 and oh, it, was, oh, yeah. it was a d series nice. so it didn't have a cab didn't have a cab had a pony motor start and I think we, I don't know, I think we paid like three grand for it, right? So we pushed out our orchard with it, and then I had a couple other guys say, "Hey, come and push my orchard." So I would go over there, and finally, I, I pushed maybe fifty, sixty, hundred acres. I think I pushed. Tractor's done. Like it's just overworked. Yeah. Steering clutches are out. I took it to the auction, and we sold it. But I knew. At that time, I, I, at that time, I knew I was like, I think I could probably make a run at this business. I just need a better tractor. So, what had happened was I got a promotion in law enforcement. I, I went from a deputy sheriff to a, a sergeant, which is now like a supervisor. Yeah. And my overtime got cut. A lot of all cops live on overtime. I mean, they they make more money on overtime than they do regular pay. So when your overtime gets cut, your pay gets cut, right? Yeah. And it's like 2004, 2005 at that point. And um, the house that I had bought when I got married, I, it was worth like double of what I had paid for it, right? Huh. So all my cop buddies were going out and taking seconds on their houses to go buy a toy hauler or a Harley or dirt bikes or something like that, right? And I go, man, I, I think I'm going to take a second and go buy a bulldozer. So that was how I, I got a second on my house for $50,000. I found a, a D8K, the one that I still have. I found that thing for like thirty grand, And I knew, I looked at it, and I'm like, I knew enough about equipment, welding, and maintenance. I was like, I think the tracks are good enough that I can make enough money to put tracks on it. And so I bought it, and I bought some attachments for it, and I, I just started going to work. I mean, I, I took all the jobs that, people didn't want to have, you know, that they didn't want to do. And those are the jobs that I did. Damn. So uh, uh, where did you find this tractor? Who did you just buy it from a guy or did you buy it from Quinn or who? I bought it from Quinn used parts. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think I've been to that, yeah. that yard where they have all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the old stuff that comes in and tear down. Well, this had came in and I guess they felt that it was a good enough tractor not to part out. Right. And they could sell it. Well, they did. Like, taking on these initial jobs, was it just sitting there like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? 
if you didn't have all that no. much background in it and you're you're a sheriff, you, so you just you just had at it. Just had at it. I mean, I just figured it out. I would watch, you know, like I would watch other people do that kind of work and see how kind of spy on them, look at what how they how they're pushing trees or what looks good and what doesn't work, you know. And I, I just went out and had at it. I mean, it just yeah, that's all. I mean, I had to work out of town. I had to work, you know, a couple hundred miles from my house, and so. I would, how I would do it was as a sheriff, you work four 10 hour days, yep. right? Yep. You, you get three days off. Well, my three days off were all driving bulldozer or a lot of the times I was working graveyard shifts. So I would work from nine at night to seven in the morning. I'd get off at seven in the morning and head out to the field and drive dozer till two or three in the afternoon, go to sleep, go back to work, you know? Yeah. That's sustainable. Jeez. What? You can you can do it you can do it for about four or five days pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then the coffee runs out; it's just not enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's uh, yeah. You, you, but on that, uh, at what point? How long did you do that before you started making good enough money where you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe I maybe I hang up the the uh, the sheriff's badge here, so to speak, and and go do this bulldozer thing full time. So the sheriff's job, I had gotten injured in uh, the line of duty in a fight. And um, so they ended up medically retiring me at like 2017. I was medic, they medically retired and said no more. And I said, I was good before that. I had, before that I had an employee, I had a few employees that would work for me. And so, I mean, it was just kind of a progression, right. From 2005 to going and having employees, have a couple guys work and, and they would actually work. And I would go to work on, swing shift and they'd be off and they'd go to work and they'd call me if there's a problem or whatnot. And it just kind of worked out, you know, being, did, did being a sheriff give you an advantage, like knowing the area, knowing people, I, did it, did it provide any kind of applicable skills or knowledge that you could apply to this new business? Many, many. And, and I credit being a sheriff is the ability. Most of what I do is, it's how to read people, right? I mean, if you're talking to someone or dealing with somebody yes. as a sheriff, you, you have to be able to read that person and because your life depends on it. So it gives you a lot of negotiating skills and, and ability to kind of read people really well. That's probably the best skill. A lot of other skills is because I was a supervisor, they would send you to supervisor training mm. and kind of talk about stuff you know, how to supervise, how to manage people. And a lot of what I do now is managing employees. So yeah, it gave me a, a huge skill set gotcha. to go forward with. What kind of, what kind of fight you get in? Uh, <laughs> it was a, a guy was uh, running from us and I, I caught up to him and, and uh, we thought he was going for a gun. And so I hit him a couple of times and my wrist kind of messed up and, they did surgery on it and cut it open and it never was right. My, my right hand was taking a lot of stuff off of it. And my gun hand just never healed. Right. No kidding. Oh yeah. So, so you get medically retired abruptly and then you're like, well, might as well do this full time. And (laughs) right. And so can you explain your business? Because I think it's absolutely fascinating what you guys do. And I, I'm very upset because I've never actually seen it done in person yet. I've been wanting, <laughs> we, we actually have an upcoming trip to somewhere in California. And so hopefully we can talk after this about me maybe coming out and seeing what you guys do for a day. But what, what do you do? How do you do it? What's the need? So we do a lot. Most of what we do is farming development, right? A farmer is growing trees or vines and, and they want to, put in a new crop, right? Like we talked about the gold rush in California. In farming out here, the water costs a fortune. Farming costs a fortune. So when you farm, you have to have a crop that makes good money. Mm-hmm. And what they see is when a crop's not making money, they have to pull it out and put something in that will. So then they'll call a guy like me, hey, I'm going to push this vineyard out and I need you to do it. And I'll come and I'll take care of it and the We'll push that vineyard out, we'll pile it up, we'll burn it, we'll grind it, whatever it needs to be done with it. And then at that point, then we also bring in a ripper and we rip the ground five, six feet deep because out here the the soil is real hard at like four feet. 
and it has to be broken up for a new tree to grow down properly. Gotcha. So, uh, and, and I think this is something that most people don't understand about California is a majority of it's farmland. Like people think California is Los Angeles or San Francisco. It's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's a very, very, very small percentage of what actually California really is. Most of it's just farming. Right. Yeah. If, 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 if you've ever, what is it? I five, if you've ever driven up I five, like it's, it's, I don't know how many hours is just trees and orchards and farmland which is where you're at. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what my business does. Is we take care of the farms. We help out with farming. But removing an orchard is more complicated. Like, it's not just taking, like, well, well, I have this field of hay. Maybe I'll try to grow corn this year. It's it, And, and <laughs> you just you just run over it with your tractor, and, and you're good to go. The, the What you guys have to do to rip out an entire field of, like, large trees is is extremely unique. It is. Yeah. It is. And there's no one else. There's not like, you can't go to Caterpillar and buy the attachments that we use. You have to be able to build them. And and that's where I've, most of the attachments that are in the front, I built. Yes. So this is, and I wanted to get into this. So how did you learn how to build these attachments? So when I was in college and in my life, I, I really enjoyed welding. Like I just liked it as a hobby. I liked welding. I liked building stuff. And so when I got going in my business, I didn't have one of those plows and I had tried to build one and I just, I was unsuccessful, horrible. I was driving around one day uh, out in the farming country, right? In my patrol car. Hmm. And I was, uh, saw a guy with some bulldozers. So I, I, I stopped and talked to him, you know, and we just started talking a little bit and he says, yeah, I got this old vine plow out here. And I said, well, how would you sell it? And he said, yeah, but he wanted a lot of money for it. And I was like, I don't have, I think it was like three grand and I didn't have three grand. I was just getting started, you know? And what I did have though, was I had a couple of slope boards for a D eight that I, somebody had given to me and they were in my yard and I was never going to use them. So I told them, I said, Hey, um, I'll trade you these two slope boards for that vineyard digger. And yeah, okay, good enough. You know? And, uh, I, with that digger, I dug out thousands and thousands of acres. So I, I built off that design. Okay. And you just kept iterating from there. Like, all right, maybe, well, maybe we'll try this. Maybe we'll try that. Yeah. 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 This angle works good or that angle doesn't work good. And then there was also another guy that around here that was a welder who kind of had built a few and I would ask him questions and kind of get his involvement in some of the stuff and say, how did you do this? You know, what works good? What doesn't work good? And yeah. I mean, it took a lot of breaking things to get, to get them right. Yeah. No kidding. What, uh, and one of my favorite thing, it's like the, you have, I think it's your D nine with that ripper mounted forward on, on the front of it. Is that, is that you? That's my D eight. D eight. Yeah. That thing's just, that is a absolute monster. Like it doesn't, it just, if you haven't seen these videos, you have a D eight dozer with this big ass ripper on the front, no blade. And it just it just mows trees down. Like it, it it'll just drive yeah. down an orchard or a line of trees or whatever they are, you know, peaches or whatever you're saying they are. It doesn't stop. Like the trees just move out of this dozer's way. It, it it's it's crazy watching this stuff. Yeah. That's that's how we built them and that's you know, we charge by the acre, so the faster and cleaner and better we get that tree out, the more money we make. Really? So you, 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 a farmer with a hundred acres pays you X amount of dollars to remove the existing crop because it's not making them as much money and to prepare the soil for the new crop that in theory should make them more money. Yep. I did not know that. That was one of my questions yep. was why the hell do you guys do what you do? I thought, I thought the trees were just getting old or something like that and they just needed new ones. Sometimes they are. I mean, peach trees in, in, in this era, a peach tree that's 15 years old is, is at life expectancy. Ammons, they, you may see them go to 25 years. Uh, citrus, you know, citrus sometimes 30 years, but there's so much of it planted that everything is always timing out. Most of the farmers here like to have out 10% of their ground. Gotcha. Okay. And so... And then you have to deep rip it. And, and I didn't know that's why you had to deep. I, I figured it was something with the nutrients or something like that. But 
it's because the ground is so hard. You want the trees to really get down into the ground deep enough. Yeah, and the water you want the water to penetrate. Mm. So when they put water in, it has to go down, you know, past that layer. Basically, what out here they call it hard pan, and you have to break up that hard pan in order for the water to go down. Otherwise, the water will just stay, and the roots will stay in that water zone, and it just kills the trees. No kidding. Oh, it, yep. I guess it's like it's like my plants out in my my family room. I guess you have to make make sure the pot drains, or else the plant dies. Exactly. Same principle, just on a larger scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit larger. What can you explain the hard ripping? How do you guys do that? Or so the, the deep, deep ripping? Yeah, we go in with a D10 or D9 or even a D8 sometimes if, if it'll do it. And we go every four feet on in the soil with a, a shank at six feet depth. And every four foot, they run a line through there. So six feet down, that shank is running through the ground and it's breaking up whatever's down there. And he turns around and comes back and every four foot there's a line so basically that field is just chalked up like a i don't know how you would explain it it's chopped up and it's ripped and they can go in now they'll they'll level it and they'll put trees on it and go back to farming it where they need to do and and so yeah it's it's a d you guys have a d10 no blade on it with this enormous shank on the back that goes six feet Mm -hmm. down and just just all day, back and forth, back and forth, all, all the way down the field. Yep, all day long. Just that uh, guys hate driving it because it's so boring. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. How do you <laughs> how do you stay straight? The drivers, you have to line up on something. You know, you have to pick a point and just stay with it. And once you get straight, <laughs> if you know your spacing and know where you're at, you're you're able to stay straight. I have I have a GPS on my D nine. I just put it on and I really haven't had time to mess with it, but it is supposed to help you stay exactly straight within a few inches. Gotcha. Yeah. I would, I would need all the help I could get. I, there's no way in hell I could keep it straight. Okay. So your, your whole business is just catering to the ag market. Yeah. Farming. So are these farmers, are they just local, you know, Bob's or are they big corporations? Like who's your customer base? So when I first, got going probably 95 percent of my customer base was small farmers you know guys that were farming less than 100 acres yeah now i'm probably 95 percent large corporations and five percent of the small farmers no kidding yeah it's farming is is large corporation Mm. the big farms you know okay um and, and and so you're you're just specialized in this farming world um, but it's all it's all really just removing things. Yeah, just destroying things. That's it's it's so cool. Why, so why <laughs> why hire you guys over another person that does this? You just remove it faster, or what's what's your guys's um, you know advantage? In the world of of vineyard and orchard removal here, um, it's gotten better. But there were a lot of companies that when I first got started, and I, that's how I really grew was they would over over commit, right? They would say, I'll be there, I'll be there. They would never show up, not ever answer their phone. Just horrible. I'm horrible people. And so I just, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. And I show up and I do good work and I charge a decent price. You know, I'm right in the range of everybody else. Yeah. But I do good work. When, when the work's done, you're like, wow, that looks really good. And and I, you don't have to spend a lot of hand labor to clean up behind me because we just do good, clean work. And that's, that's honestly has been how I've been successful. Gotcha. Okay. How many times have you been stuck? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. More I feel, than I feel like half your Instagram content is just you pulling shit out of very, very stuck places. Yeah, it, it, there is some times that that we do get stuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and you know some of that stuff is like you just can't even prevent it. Like the the and, you know say like they're ripping next to a ditch, a water ditch, right? Yeah. And at some point, some squirrel has dug a hole underneath that ditch, and now he's and the hole is there, and the water's like sitting below the crust of the dirt. He drives that D10 across it. Next thing he knows, the whole thing just sinks. He can't help it. Yeah. 
Well, that's no, why. Yeah. That's why the people on the internet are the worst because they see a stuck machine like, oh, well, well, if it were me doing that, I wouldn't have got stuck. It's like bullshit. You would have got stuck just like the other guy. There's nothing you can do about it. Or, or the better one is, I would, I would be able to get that out with no yeah. problem. I wouldn't have to bring anything else. But what they don't realize is, is, is a D10 costs a lot of money to own. Uh huh. I don't. It, I don't care which D10 you have. They all cost money. So if that D10 is stuck, it's not making any money. The faster it gets unstuck and the safer it gets unstuck, the more money you start making again. Yeah. Yeah. People don't get that. They're like, oh, yeah. I could deal with it for a day. And... No. Well, they'll, they'll get it out. They, they criticize people that own D10s, but they, don't, they themselves don't own a D10. So they just can't really understand that concept. What's the worst you've been stuck? We had a job in in Madeira a while back in a vineyard, and it was like a kind of a rolling hills. And those guys up there would get buried out pretty good on the wheel loaders. That we had one, the one that, and it's on my Instagram where we broke a five eighths chain getting it out. That one was pretty stuck. Oof. I don't think I've ever seen a loader stuck like that before. Jeez, wow! All right. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. I, I needed to cover that on, on the, on the topic of the D 10, was it pretty cool to go buy that thing? Like knowing where you started out this, this $30,000 dozer that you took out a second mortgage on your house to buy. And then here you are a few years later getting a D 10. Like that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I, I it was like the biggest one that I had bought in to date. Right. And it's just driving one is from an old D8 to now driving a D10 and, and you actually own it, it's like, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a bad deal. What, uh, what are your work hours like? Cause I feel like you're just working all the damn time. So for my employees, my work hours or my work hours, your work hours. <laughs> I get going, I get going about four in the morning most of the time. And then I'll work through till, uh, Sometimes I'm out at eight o'clock at nine o'clock at night feeling people. A lot of times I'll work and I'll, I'll move stuff in the mornings, and then in the afternoons I'll go look at jobs or fix whatever I gotta fix. Maybe do some welding, and then you know my guys will be finished up. And once they finish up around five or six, then I'll go out and run fuel. And that could that sometimes depends on where everybody's at. I mean, I could put on a hundred miles, you know, just trying to fuel my tractors in a day, Jeez. and I'll go out and fuel and and come back in, go back to bed and get up and do the same thing over again. Good grief. What, um, what are your guys' work hours like? They typically work from like five to three or six to four. They were, we work 10 hour days because we're in farming. Yep. So farming still has the, the 10 hour days for now. And they, they work six days a week. We work, you know, Monday through Saturday and take Sundays off. Six tens, huh? Yeah. 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 Wow. They like it. My guys like it. They like, they, they want to go to work. I mean, if in out here, a lot of them come from being a field worker background. Yeah. They're going to work six tens or seven tens or, you know, more than that just to survive. So coming to work for me, where they're in a tractor and they have the company vehicle or stuff like that. I mean, a six, 10 hour day for them is, is nothing. Now, most of these guys are migrant workers, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, yeah. and this is something that, that drives me nuts is, is a lot of, I don't know, a lot of people in this industry, they get so upset at these migrant workers for taking their jobs, quote unquote, taking their jobs. Even they have a job, but they're still taking their jobs. And it's so absurd <laughs> to me because like these, these migrant workers, like they're the ones that grow all of our food. Like you couldn't eat without these people. And they are, I've, I've worked alongside a lot of them when I was in Arizona doing pipe work. They're, they're the hardest working people I've ever, ever worked alongside in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 mostly that's what I've got. And some of my best operators came from just being a field worker and yeah. me giving them a chance and staying with them and showing them how to drive and trying to give them an opportunity. They, I mean, for them, hard work is nothing, right? I mean, they're used to that Yeah. where you get somebody out, the guy who's like, you're taking my job and, and, and that guy when I've had them work for me, like all I had was problems. I had, you know, late to work with showing up late to work 30 minutes with a Starbucks cup in hand, taking off early, you know, hey. I mean, lying to me. Watching about Starbucks. Two hour lunches. I like Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Be careful on that one. 
I know, but if you're going to show up late to work, don't show up 30 minutes late with a cup of Starbucks in your hand. <laughs> don't do that. That is a great point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a good look. Leave it in the car. Yeah. Leave it in the car at least. You know, so the boss doesn't see it. <laughs> That's a great tip. Yeah. It, it is just interesting. Like I, I've been wanting to post about that lately because I've been posting a bunch of border front stuff and it gets all people all riled up, obviously. And, and one of the things that just drives me nuts is like people stealing jobs. It's like it's, but it's not a thing like before COVID record low unemployment. So if they're stealing all the jobs, why is right? Uh, it just doesn't mathematically work out. And we depend on these people for so much in our lives and yet we we look down upon them for because they weren't born here. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, like I say, I mean, uh, my business. The best best people that I have worked for me have been coming migrant workers. I mean, I just and honestly, I would rather give them a, a shot, you know, a chance to to succeed in our society. I I just can't say enough good things about them. Honestly, I mean, they're hardworking people. They're not, they're not taking anybody's job because if if they want to if. You, if the guy who's complaining about it wants to come out and work in the field. He absolutely can. Yeah. Like they will let him come work. There's nobody out there saying, Hey, no, no, you can't work here. No, no, no. Come on out in the field. Do the work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it drives me nuts. How, I guess another thing people don't understand, how important is agriculture? Well, if you like to eat, I mean, that's what we do. We grow, we grow food. Yeah. Well, I feel like, but most of most Americans, they think food comes from a grocery store. No, no, it comes from farms. And I mean, from what we grow here in the Central Valley of California, we grow everything. I mean, we grow everything, everything that you find in the supermarket, we're growing. It's just, yeah, I like what I do because I get, I, I tell people I get to peek under the hood of America, like how America really runs, like infrastructure, oil and gas, mining, steel, like all the core American industries that keep everyone else going, we get to see, we get a little bit of farming, not as much as I'd like though, but I mean, farming, it's like food, water, shelter. I always say food, water, shelter, food, number one, where does that come from? Farms. It's, it's, but all these people in these cities forget that it's, it's, but it's, it's so important to, to living life. You couldn't live without it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and as a country, the way we live, if we didn't farm here or say they stopped farming in California, people wouldn't eat. We, they would, they would starve. Yeah. They would, it would be a famine. Yeah. Man, what was the deal with the, the, the drought and all, all the farms and, you know, driving through central Valley, California, you kept seeing all these signs about water and this and that. What, what was, what was the deal with that a few years ago? Well, it's still, it's still going on. I mean, the drought has, has subsided, but, when things are the drought, it means that it didn't rain enough here for them to put enough water in the hills. See, they store the water for the farm in a dam in the mountains. Yeah. And if it doesn't rain enough, then they have to pump water out of the ground. And so that's what they were doing. And they pumped a lot of water out of the ground. And because we were in California, the state regulates the water. They, mm. they regulate the air. <laughs> they regulate the water. They regulate a lot of things out here. And that's one of them. So water, it, when, once it becomes regulated, water becomes a very expensive commodity. Mm. And farming, you know, I mean, you have to make good decisions with your water because you're paying a lot of money for it. So the state was telling farms what, how, to, uh, how much water they get? Was that, was that what yep. they were upset about? Yeah, they were telling how much or they were getting no water from the state. So uh. a farmer who owns a 1,000 acres should be able to farm all thousand acres. But if the state only gives them enough water to farm 300, then he has to farm 300 and the other part of it either dies off of its trees or whatever it is, or he doesn't farm it. But he still pays taxes on that ground. It still has to till it and everything else. He just doesn't get to farm it because he doesn't have water to farm it with. Okay. I see the problem. Yeah. I, and I'd be pretty pissed too if I was looking at my 700 acres of trees dying because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, state legislator, whoever, whoever it was, was telling me I couldn't do that. Yeah. And they were sending the water out to the ocean and people were like, well, I mean, I think we could do better with the better things without water than sending it out to the ocean. Interesting. 
Well, as as we've seen uh, in 2020, the state, the governor, the government of California knows best, Josh. <laughs> they know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. They just know how to regulate. Yep. They just know how to regulate us. Um, so speaking of the government in California, what's, uh, can you explain what's going on with emissions out there? Uh, because I feel like a lot of people across the country don't really understand uh, what's going on with emissions and regulations, and, and California is really on the, uh, the the tip of the spear. So can you explain uh, what the regulations are and how it's affecting you as a, a small business owner? So regulations now are, are and farming is not, completely regulated yet construction is to where you have to have a certain amount of equipment in your fleet that has to be a tier four um, or clean burning equipment you cannot run tier zero or tier one only a limited amount of time maybe i think it's like 50 hours a year so if you have a, a d10n and you're in construction you can only run that d10n for 50 hours a year 100 hours a year it's not very much farming has not been regulated because they were kind of afraid of regulating the farmer that has one or two tractors mm-hmm. slowly because we're in California, they are starting to regulate. So if you look at my fleet, for example, I still have a few tractors that are not tier, but everything that I'm buying now is all in tier four because I know the regulation is coming and I have to be prepared for it. But is that, do they help you out and buy all this brand new equipment or are they just like, no, you they gotta, can't. you have to comply. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> they, they, well, at some point they are going to say, yeah, you have to comply. Sorry. But right now they are giving grants and incentives to buy, to purchase new equipment. So okay. I take one of my loaders, for example, I turned in an old 980B wheel loader that was a non tier zero, right? Great loader. I mean, great loader. Just had to turn it in and I got, they paid a percentage towards a new loader, which would be a 972M or 966M, both of those were done on airboard grants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they are giving out money for that, but they want you to run it a certain amount of hours, and, and they want you to run it and doing what you're doing, farming or um, in the Central Valley. Gotcha. So all the old equipment in California is is essentially obsolete now. Yes. Wild. And, and, and in the next five years, and actually, probably next two years, you will see them starting the regulations where they catch you running an old piece of equipment. They're going to fine you. I think it's like ten thousand dollars a day. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> because not too many people can afford that. Yeah, yeah, because those D ten ends. That's why global warming's happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm rolling my eyes because it's a podcast. I need to explain <laughs> that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting, but. But but you've got some pretty cool equipment out of it. Like that that nine seventy two, I actually got. To, I think I got to see it while it was at Quinn, back in the yeah. day when yeah. when we were working with them. And what can you explain the customization on that on that machine? Because it is it is highly highly customized for what you guys do. So we had the brush rake built uh, for the front of it. I had it built by Pemberton Attachments out of Florida. And how I found them was I was going around Con Expo, I don't know, six years ago or whenever it was. But it wasn't the last Con Expo, the one before. And I was looking around at different attachments, and I saw their brush rake. And I said, these guys build stuff like I would build it. And so, sure enough, I just had them contracted to build that rake. It has a brush rake on the front. It also has the thing that I think they were doing when you were there. It has wire guard on the axles because a lot of what we do is vineyard and there's a, we, we don't make them take the wire out to push the vineyard. We, we push it with everything in it. Mm-hmm. So if you get wire wrapped around in your axle seal, uh, it's about four or $5,000 to pull the axle off, put a seal in it, and put the axle back on. And, and you don't want to do that every day. You want to, you want to get some use out of it. So it has axle guarding. It has the whole um, guarding package on the bottom and on the side. So, Something comes up in there brush-wise, it won't go through and poke hydraulic lines. And then it also has, that one also has the cab guarding and everything else in, inside the cab that keeps the operator safe and stuff coming through the windows. And, and you look at that, you're like, well, that's a little overkill. And then you see some of your pictures and you realize, whoa, and, that's, that is there for and, a reason. Yeah, yeah. You saw that post where the stump, like, 
didn't go through the window. It didn't get the operator, which, you know, could have injured him severely. Yeah. And, you know, you, you don't want that. You don't, you don't want to have job injuries on your stuff. You want to prevent that as much as possible. No kidding. It's just, I, I, I just like the, the equipment you have because it's so beefy and cool looking. So when I had a, when I ordered them, I just told Caterpillar, I was like, I want a waste handler with like a forestry package. <laughs> I want both yes. of those packages that's, combined. And that's the perfect description of it. It is a waste handling loader with forestry, the forestry package too. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the last one I bought, they sent down the Caterpillar, sent down their guy who was in charge of medium wheel loaders and. He asked me, okay, what do you think about this? And, and now I'm part of the, like a, a program where they're de- new development and stuff. And I help them out and say, well, this is my opinion on that. Or let me try to run that and we'll see if that works good. And so they're very interested in working with customers and what we have too, which, which made it nice. Well, and, and, the, and, and they're interested in working with customers that really use and push equipment. And you guys, I'm sure, break a whole lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More than I want to know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine what your repair bills are. So, <laughs> so the loaders they 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 push mostly the vineyards, right? Entries, yeah. Entries, and then you push trees with bulldozers. You rip with bulldozers. You just bought an excavator too. What do you do with that? So, a lot of the larger trees, say like a large orange tree or um, a walnut walnut tree, you know, walnut trees they could be thirty, forty years old and, and be huge. We do those with an excavator because we just, a bulldozer is a little bit lightweight for pushing that tree over. It's a little better to do it with an excavator where you can grab the tree and kind of finagle it around and then chase the roots because we have to get the roots out too. When we get the tree, we can't just get the tree out and leave all the roots in the ground. We got to get the roots too so that everything comes up. So that's typically what we use an excavator for. A lot of times we use them too. And recently I've been just loading out, like when we burn a vineyard, we have the wire and stakes left. I'll use that excavator to load the wire and stakes in my end dump and haul it to scrap metal. Gotcha. And do you, do you use just like a bucket and thumb or how do you whack these trees over? Just a bucket and a thumb. It's that easy, huh? <laughs> it's not that easy. It's just the guys that run it. One, my guy that runs it's really good with a bucket and a thumb. I asked him when I bought the new excavator, I was like, so do you want like a tree popper or like a, another type of rake attachment? And he said, no, I just want a bucket and a thumb. He says, that's how I know how to do it. I do good work with it. That's what I want. So hmm. I left it like that. I, I, you know, I try to take their input because I don't know everything. And I want to ask the guy who's actually doing the work, how's, how's this going to work the best? You know? No, we should probably double that up. So people hear it twice over. Cause I feel like a lot of owners in this industry need to hear that. Yeah, they need to hear it. The guy who's actually doing the work is the expert. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And 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 I feel like a lot of OEMs forget that concept too. Like they don't they don't talk and speak to the guy actually in the machine. It's like that's that's really your customer, not the company that's buying it. Like you you really want to be appealing to the person running the piece of equipment every single day. That's their office. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And and that's yeah, you're right. They take the owner, right? They take the owner on a trip to go see the factories. They don't ever talk to the operator, and that's the most important thing. And whenever I built all my new machines, I talked to my operators first. What do you like? What don't you like? Um, you know, what was good? Like that rake was different on my 966 than it was on my 972. They said, you need two more feet length on, on the rake time. Mm. Okay. So that's how we built it. Um, and that's, that's how you – as a businessman, you should always listen to people below you. I was taught that as a cop and being a supervisor of that, you know, listen to the guys that are they're doing it. They're going to be your expert. Yeah. It sounds so obvious and so simple. And yet, as I see it play out, it's rarely that way, which is a bummer. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Well, as far as your custom attachments go, what's your, what's your favorite? Probably my the blade that pushes trees out. I mean, I really have designed those to be, you know, as efficient as they can. And I always work on them, especially the D8. That one, uh, the one on my D8 in, the high track D8, is the last one that I built. And that one, I've still got some tweaking to do on it a little bit. And so I really watch 
how it works and I ask my operators, okay, what do you like about it? Is it having problems doing this? Does it do well in, in, in grapes and then not trees or trees and not grapes? Because it's hard to build one that will do well in trees and then go move over and do a vineyard. It's yeah. hard. Mm. They're just two different crops. And so I've still got some tweaking on that one. That Those are probably my favorite because those are my most custom attachment. And, and those were designed by me. And so you design and fabricate these things yourself? Yeah. I've seen Out some in the middle of a dirt, dirt yard. Yeah. No, your, your shop facility is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Pretty high tech stuff, just like Quinn. <laughs> but, you know, a, a shop never make any money. So I'd like to have a shop. I just, I, I, I'm so mobile. And so what we do is out in the field so much that I've adapted to, to that type of environment. And that's all we do. We're yeah. good at it. Makes makes sense. Going to that, are, are a lot of the repairs you guys have to make, do you do you just have to kind of figure it out on your own? Like, are you calling the technician all the time, or do you just have to? Hey, we just got to figure out how to fix this thing. So if it's a if it's a machine issue, yeah, I, I will have Quinn uh, do a lot of the work on it. I have a, a tech that works for Quinn that basically is, I guess you would say he's assigned to my fleet. Mm-hmm. Right, he knows all of my equipment. He's a local guy, and so I would call and say, hey, "Look, I've got this problem or that problem," and they send him out, and he is one of the best techs I've ever seen. So I'm completely happy with him because it's fixed right. It's under warranty if it's fixed, and um, it gets done in a good, timely manner. I don't have to wait around. Welding repairs, I'm probably going to try to do those myself. Is that right? Yeah, if, it, if something breaks welding wise, I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. If I have questions, I might bounce it off some guys, some other welder guys that I know. On, and it may be Instagram. I may bounce stuff off of guys on Instagram. Hey, uh, I'm doing this. What do you think about this and that procedure and stuff like that? And Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a wealth of knowledge out there. You just have to know how to access it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. What's uh, what's the technician's first name? Tom. Tom. I just want to give, give Tom a shout out because he spoke so highly of him. Um, yeah, no, he's great. On the welding front, have you taught your other guys how to weld? No, they don't. They're they're not. I mean, they could weld. They could probably hard face if they had to. But what we do and the metal that we use is pretty specific to to what we're doing. And it requires a lot of uh, to know how to do it. I I don't want to pay one of my guys to have to do something that have it go break two hours later. Yeah. So if I fix it and it breaks two hours later, well, <laughs> it's on me. But I taught my son how to weld, and he's actually probably a better welder in for the age that he is than I was at his age. He's, he's a really good welder. Have you ever seen my stories with him welding? He, he, he stacks a weld that looks just beautiful. I've seen some of them, and they really are beautiful. Yeah. 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 How old is your son? 16. So is he, what's, what's he planning on doing for work? Does he want to get into this or what, what, what does he want to do? He thinks he wants to go be a welder, go weld stuff somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe build stuff or weld stuff. You know, I, uh, if he wants to come and work for me, that's fine. I mean, I would encourage that, but he doesn't have to. I would rather for him, I would rather he go do what he wants to do. Like, like I got to do what I wanted to do, right. Build a business and, and work here and, have it be cool. That was my dream. And I would rather he go pursue his dream. Now, in your opinion, what's the best way to learn welding? If someone wants to become a welder, probably take a community college course. That's okay. Yeah. They would give you the basics to, and basics and they would teach you the basics on how to do it and how to get it down, right. And make it hold and, you know, do well. And yeah, community college. That's, I mean, I learned a lot in community college of welding, I took welding there for like two years at community college. And I, I learned quite a bit just, just taking the welding classes. Gotcha. Gotcha. What makes a, what makes a good welder? Just got to pay attention to detail. It's like anything else. Just pay attention to detail, make sure things are right. And that if something bubbles up or whatever, you get rid of it and just take some pride in your work. That's like anything else. Simple enough. Well, I'm I'm getting through everything I wanted to talk to you about. Why um why'd you start posting on social media? 
my kids had Instagram and uh, they were like, Hey, you should, uh, you know, have Instagram. So I just started posting bulldozer stuff because what I'm into, obviously. And uh, so I just kind of started posting and started getting more of a following and that's kind of just grown from there, I guess. Yeah. That's how I tell my story. Yeah. Just like bulldozer stuff and started putting it on the internet and it kind of happened, took yeah. off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Easy as that. Yeah. What, uh, has yeah. it, has it done anything for your business or is it just fun? Mostly it's just fun. I mean, I've gotten a few uh, jobs off of it that people wanted to come and hire me, you know, or like, and you get, if I need employees, sometimes I'll put out on Instagram and I'll, I'll get a few hits or somebody knows somebody or something like that. So it's helped out like that, but mostly it's just fun. It's just entertainment really. Yeah. It's, um, like I said, I, I just always love seeing your videos cause it's so different than, <laughs> Uh, like an excavator moving dirt, for example. It's like, okay, you know, great. That's 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 exciting. You know, the excavator's doing what it should be doing. But then when you see a, an excavator <laughs> pushing a tree over, that's like, whoa, that is pretty cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out there one of these days. I want to come see it in person. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, anything else we gotta gotta cover? Anything else you want the people to know about what you guys do? No, I, I think we've covered it quite a bit, but when you come out here, let me know and I'll barbecue for you. Oh, yeah. You know we love barbecuing. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you didn't need you didn't need to talk me into it anyway, but now you've now you've really done it. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, um yeah, that sounds good to me. All right. All right. Well, that is Josh McHale. So how do people find you? We've been talking about your Instagram a lot. How do people find you? Um, my screen name or my Instagram name is McHale Dozing. And they can send me a message from there or whatnot and get a hold of me. Sweet. It's easy as that. All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, with that, I think we're, we're done with another episode here. So that was Josh McHale of McHale Enterprises Incorporated out in Central Valley of California doing a lot of um, orchard removal, vine removal for agriculture, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. So if you don't follow him already on Instagram, I'd highly recommend it because it is just nothing short of spectacular watching a D8 whack trees over. Uh, if you loved the episode, if you liked the episode, if you didn't like the episode, regardless, please share it because it's uh, a huge help when people share it with new folks. It's, it's so exciting hearing from people saying, yeah, I've never listened to a podcast before. Start listening to your guys's. And this has just been, been a treat. So please share it as much as you can. We have no sponsors. I get no money from doing this whatsoever. So you sharing it is really all I ask for. And we will with that, see you on the next episode of dirt talk.